All right. Well, hey, you know, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but uh, there was a time once where my wife and I got called to be witnesses in a court case. Uh, she had actually witnessed a crime, um, and then strangely, it wasn't even really connected why we had to go to the court case together, because uh, I, w I had a connection through uh, the church I was pastoring at the time, not here, so I knew the person that she had witnessed doing this crime, and they wanted me to positively identify this guy in court, so we both were witnesses in this court case. And I wasn't in the courtroom when my wife gave her testimony, but my testimony was very, very brief. I was asked how I knew the suspect, I was asked my perception of his character, I was asked to point him out in the courtroom. It was just like in the courtroom dramas. Is he in the room? And I stood up and I declared, it was him! No, it, that would have been weird. I just, yeah, it was, you know, that guy back there, that's the guy you're, we're talking about today. And he waved at me. So it was just kind of, <laughs> it was weird. <laughs> but it's fascinating how those cases work because this case literally had only one eyewitness. It all depended on whether my wife was believable or not. Could the judge believe that she had seen what she said she saw? The judge didn't see it happen. Only my wife did. Yet the judge was the one who had to decide whether or not a crime had occurred. And if she decided it had occurred, she had to decide what to do about it. If the judge believed my wife, the suspect would be convicted of a crime and potentially go to jail. If she didn't believe my wife, the suspect would go free. And of course, my wife is as believable as she is beautiful, and so that guy went to jail. <laughs> Praise God. Ah, don't clap for that. The beautiful part, yes, yes, yes. Anyways, today being Easter Sunday, it's Resurrection Sunday. It's the day Christians have celebrated for over 2,000 years. We have celebrated a miracle. We've celebrated the miracle. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, died on a cross, was buried in a tomb, but three days later, that tomb was empty, and Jesus was alive. And he showed up all kinds of times to prove that he was alive to his disciples, to many eyewitnesses, and he didn't just show up as someone whose heart had stopped, and then someone did chest compressions, and then he came back, he's like, I'm okay, but then died later. He actually went through death to the other side, to such a degree that death no longer had a hold over him. He defeated the power of death itself, and he's still alive today and promises that by his power, he could give us new life. That's the story of Easter that we're celebrating. But the challenge that people like us over the last 2,000 years have had is this. Neither you or I saw it happen. We're not eyewitnesses. We weren't there. We're kind of like the judge in the court case. All we have are the eyewitnesses to tell us what they saw. And whether or not we believe those witnesses determines what we are going to do with the claims we are hearing. I wasn't there when the nails were pounded into Jesus' hands and feet. I wasn't there when the cross was raised and settled into the notch in the ground. I wasn't there when the soldier pierced Jesus' side to make sure that he was dead. I wasn't there to watch his body be buried in a tomb and a giant stone be rolled over it and sealed to make sure no one could steal the body. I wasn't there to look in bewilderment three days later when the grave was empty. I wasn't there when Jesus showed up on multiple occasions to prove to his disciples that he was alive. And I wasn't there when he ascended into the clouds and said, I will return one day for you. Were you there? None of us were. But the fact that we weren't there to see it doesn't mean it didn't happen. 
But it can make it harder for us to believe that it happened. When you read the Bible, that's what you get. You get eyewitness accounts, men and women who claim to have seen something incredible, and they call out across history and they say, it's true. He really is alive. It really did happen. It really did happen the way these authors say it did. And these stories were designed specifically for us. Today we're going to look quickly at three stories at the end of John's Gospel. If you have a Bible, you can open to John 20. It'll be on the screen as well, or open up your device. These stories in particular had you and me in mind. Because John is writing an account saying there's going to be people who aren't here who need to know what actually happened. So let's go quickly through them and we'll look a little bit closer at what John wants us to know this Easter. The first story in John 20 starts like this. Mary Magdalene, a disciple of Jesus is going to the grave on Sunday morning. Jesus had been crucified and buried on Friday afternoon. Saturday was the Sabbath. Nobody goes out of their house. Nobody does much on Sabbath. They stayed home, so no one visited the grave site. But on Sunday, people started to come and visit to honor Jesus' body. There's all kinds of different rituals they would have done. So Mary's on her way. It's very early in the morning, but she finds the stone rolled away and the tomb empty, and she's incredibly confused. So she runs back to tell the rest of the disciples what happened. So we pick up in verse 3. So Peter and the other disciple, that's how John refers to himself, they started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I'm a competitive guy, but imagine being so competitive that you write in the Bible that you're faster than your friend. Okay, that's John. We've been introduced to him. Verse 5, he bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, the slow one, came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head, the cloth that was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. But listen to this. He saw and believed. He saw and believed. Until John saw, he couldn't believe. Story number two, still in John 20, Mary goes back to the tomb. She reported to the disciples that Jesus' body was missing. Then she makes her way back to the tomb, still confused, searching around, what's going on? A man starts to talk to her, who she doesn't at first recognize. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you were looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. Mary saw and she believed. Story number three, kind of two stories in one, still in John 20 as we're going down the page. Jesus shows up to the whole group of disciples. They're in a room together. The doors are locked. They make that clear, and Jesus kind of just pops in, right? There's something different about Jesus' resurrected body. He pops in, talks to them. He says, hey, feel, I'm alive. This is actually flesh. I'm back. I beat the grave. And then the disciples report to Thomas because Thomas missed it. One of the 12 disciples, he missed it. I don't know why he wasn't there. 
Lesson learned, when you miss church, you might miss something great, okay? So Thomas wasn't in church, and he missed something really, really awesome. They report to Thomas, they say, we have seen the Lord. But Thomas doesn't believe them. Verse 25, he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Unless I see too, I refuse to believe. It's pretty much how most modern people think today. Unless I can interact with these claims of faith with my own five senses, there's no way I will believe in miracles. A week later, Thomas learned his lesson. He showed up in church. Good thing, something great was about to happen. Jesus shows up, just like last time, and he specifically points at Thomas, says, Thomas, come here. Feel the nail marks in my hands. Feel the place in my side where the spear went in. I'm alive. It's me. I'm here. Thomas saw. He touched and he believed. All three of these stories are about people, people just like you and me, who refused to believe, or at least were unable to believe, until they saw, until they heard Jesus' voice or touched his body, and they, until they were able to use their physical senses to interact with Jesus. I refuse to believe until he can be empirically proven to me. You know, I bet if Thomas were here to talk to us, he'd be really upset. Because Thomas is the only one in these stories that got the nickname Doubting Thomas. And Thomas would say to you, read the whole chapter because I'm not the only one who is doubting. And nobody else got a nickname. Peter, John, Mary, all of them were doubting. John just happens to be, or pardon me, Thomas just happens to be the last in the list. But they're not the only ones who doubt. I've struggled with doubt. Many people who claim to be full-on, all-in Christians struggle with doubt, if not now, at some point in their lives. According to Barner Research, two out of every three Christians have admitted to having a serious, significant season of doubt in their lives. And more than a quarter are doubting right now. So any given Sunday in church, one out of four people are struggling with doubt. The most common response to spiritual doubt, people quit going to church. One Sunday morning, a guy woke up and told his wife, I don't want to go to church today. I'm sick of it. The wife said, it's Sunday, you have to go to church. And he said, give me three good reasons why I should go to church today. She said, okay, number one, the Bible says that we should gather together with other believers, like the book of Hebrews. Do not give up on gathering together. We need to encourage each other. Reason number two, it's important for you to set a good example for the kids. you got to go to church. And reason number three, you're the pastor. You have to be there. <laughs> the point is, even pastors struggle with church. Even pastors have their seasons of doubt. But you'll notice something about all of these stories, Peter, John, Mary, and Thomas. When they were in doubt, they stuck around. They stayed in community. They stayed with people who could encourage them and build them up and walk through that season with them. Thomas showed up in church next week. That's where he encountered Jesus. Mary went back to the tomb to figure out what was going on. Peter and John kept searching and investigating to figure out what had happened. Leaving is never the solution when you're in a season of doubt because leaving doesn't offer a better option. It merely removes you from an environment where you can get the encouragement and support you need. One of the points of these stories, though, in John 20, is that doubters are in good company. Everyone goes through a season of doubt. I go through seasons of doubt. Jesus 
closest friends who watched him do miracles every day for three years went through a time of doubt. And they even said, Jesus told us he was going to die. He told us he was going to be in the grave for three days. He told us he'd come back to life. And we still doubted until we saw him. Doubt isn't a sin. Doubt isn't wrong. Doubt doesn't make you a bad person. And doubt doesn't have to be fatal. Often doubt can be the pathway to something much, much greater in your life of faith with Jesus. Now what happens is really important because now John is narrowing in right to us, talking about those who weren't there. Because Jesus says these words to Thomas. Verse 29. Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Let me try to rephrase what Jesus is saying without changing the message. Thomas... The only reason you believe that I defeated death is because because you got the privilege to see me in the flesh after the grave. You got to touch me. You got to talk to me. You got to be in the same room as my physical body. But that's not going to be the case for every single person in the world. Not even in this moment and certainly not 2,000 years from from now in Abbotsford, BC. He might not have mentioned us, but he was thinking about it. So he says to Thomas, I'm reserving a special blessing, a special honor, a special joy for those who learn how to believe even if they don't get the same privilege you have now, Thomas. There's a blessing of belief. And then John, the author, as he concludes these stories, he says this, verse 30, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. He's talking about his whole gospel. He's written a whole bunch of stories about what Jesus did and everything about him. Verse 31, but these, the ones that I chose to put in my book, these that are written, pardon me, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Here's what John's trying to say. I know there's going to be people reading this who didn't have the privilege of meeting Jesus in the flesh. They didn't get to see the miracles or the death or the resurrection. They didn't have the privilege of using their five senses to interact with Jesus himself. So I've written these stories down as eyewitness accounts. I swear that they are true. And you, the reader, you, the listener, if you believe they happened... If you come to the same conclusion that I did through these testimonies that Jesus truly is the Savior of the world, that he did beat death and come out the other side of the grave, that belief is going to lead to eternal life. If you believe. And according to Jesus, there's an extra special blessing reserved just for you who learn how to believe without seeing. John is inviting us to sit as the judge in this courtroom, to listen to the eyewitnesses and decide for ourselves, did this really happen? And if we determine that it did, then we need to decide, what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about the fact that Jesus, the Son of God, died on the cross and rose again and is alive today? Often what happens in a court case is the opposing counsel will cross-examine the witness. I was cross-examined by the defendant's lawyer. I could tell by his line of questioning that he meant to undermine and discredit my wife's perception of the event. Maybe she was mistaken. Maybe she was overly judgmental based on the way the person appeared. Eyewitnesses can be unreliable after all. 
Maybe the eyewitnesses had something to gain from telling a story about Jesus rising from the dead. Maybe they got rich or famous. Well, I tell you, history bears out the fact that the disciples, maybe they're famous, but they certainly didn't get rich, and they certainly didn't have great lives after this. Their beliefs led to deep and terrible suffering, but not one of them recanted their story. Not one of them said, no, we made it up. Each one of them went to their death through suffering and pain, saying, yes, he is alive. And it's changed everything. This is one of the main things the Bible is offering us, a testimony, a group of witnesses who say it's true. But today, you're blessed because you have even more than this amazing testimony of Jesus. You have 13 people who said it's true. It's so true and it's changed my life so much that I'm willing to get up in front of 400 people, 500 people and say, yes, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I believe he rose from the dead. And if you're someone who's not a regular churchgoer, because there's always some of you on Easter Sunday, you're the Easter Christmas Christians, that's fine, we love you, you're you're welcome here. Someone invited you, someone said, come on, come to church, you've got to come, it's going to be great. They're telling you that, they're inviting you to church because they say, I believe, and it's changed everything. Ask them. Ask them about it. Let them be a witness to the living Savior, Jesus Christ. John writes these eyewitness accounts that they are written that you may believe. Testimonies from people getting baptized are done so that you can believe. Your friends telling you about Jesus and inviting you to church have done so so that you can believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you can have life in his name. Ultimately, that's John's offer to us. Not just to believe that something happened, but to believe in Jesus. To trust in Jesus. You might have a little bit of faith at the beginning, or you might have a lot of faith. You might have strong faith or weak faith, but that's not the real point. The point is who or what will you believe in? Because everybody, whether religious or not, is exercising faith. We're all on the same planet, spinning in the same direction, and history is moving to some sort of conclusion. Who or what will you trust in so that that conclusion for you will be a good one? Imagine with me, you're standing at the edge of a cliff with nowhere to go. A giant grizzly bear is running towards you. It's going to tear you apart. He looks hungry. You look over the cliff and you see two branches One branch is big and strong and thick, able to hold your weight. Another branch is thin and brittle and dry, certainly not capable of of holding your weight. If you grab under the right branch, you'll be fine. If you grab under the wrong branch, you'll fall. At that moment, it doesn't matter if your faith is big or small, strong or weak. What matters is what you put your faith in. You can jump off terrified, but grabbing the right branch, be fine. You can jump off fully confident, but grabbing the wrong branch, go plummet. Or you can decide to beat the system and just not jump at all and take on the bear. And in that case, you're still exercising belief, belief in your own self. The question is, who or what will you believe in as you stand at the edge of the cliff? Jesus says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I want you to experience the blessing of believing today. And here's one way to make the jump. My daughter was memorizing this verse for school today, or this week. Romans 10, verse 9. It says, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart 
that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you declare Jesus is Lord and believe that he's alive, you will be saved and you'll receive the blessing of belief. As the band begins to play, we're going to sing a song for contemplation and you can sing along or just listen to the words and join in. Our prayer team is going to come in a moment, but here's what I want to do. My assumption is there's a few different responses that we need to make today. One, maybe you're someone who's here and and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, and that's okay. We're, We're so glad you're here. And you're not ready to make the jump today, that's fine too. But I want to invite you to do what John invited you to do. John said, I wrote all of this down so that you can look at it, examine it, and decide if you believe it. And if you believe it, you'll have life. So I want to encourage you, find a Bible, read the book of John, maybe try to pray about it, and see what the Holy Spirit does with that. We actually have some free Bibles on the front bench on this side here if you don't have your own. There's lots of great Bible apps you can look up to. Find the book of John and read. That group may also just want to talk to the friend who brought them or anybody in this room who calls himself a Christian. Christians, you are told to always be ready to share why you believe. So get ready. Someone might ask you today. Examine the witnesses who believe it's to, be tr- to believe that it's true and decide for yourself. Maybe there's others in this room. You just need to take that step of belief today. To say, yes, Jesus is Lord. He is risen from the dead. I'm going to follow him and trust him with everything. I want to invite you to do that. And maybe others who already call yourself a Christian. Sometimes there's a difference between believing in Jesus and believing Jesus. And sometimes we say, yes, Jesus is Lord and he rose from the dead, but we don't trust him. We don't actually put our weight on him and his words and his teachings. And maybe there's a conviction in your heart today that you haven't trusted Jesus with your life. And I want to encourage you to do that as well. So would you stand with me? Prayer team, please come. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. Like the people who got baptized today, sometimes our, our, our statement of belief needs to be physical. So I want to encourage you, if you want to take a step of belief today, whether it's a start of a journey with Jesus, or whether you've been on that journey a long time, but you need to take some sort of physical step to show Jesus through your physical body, yes, I believe. I just want to invite you to step out from where you are. I want to invite you to actually use your body to express to Jesus, I believe. So if you want, you can come and stand in front of one of the people and they will pray for you. Or just come and stand in this space. There's nothing special about this space except for the fact that you're making a motion of belief. Come now and just say, Jesus, I believe. And sing this song as the band plays. Come on up. Show Jesus. Make a statement of belief and receive the blessing of belief today. Father everlasting, the all-creating one, God Almighty. Through your Holy Spirit, conceiving Christ the Son, Jesus our Savior, I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit, our God is three in one, I believe in the resurrection, that we will rise.
trusting him. Come on, let's fill this space with believers. If you're a believer, come on up. Make a step. Make a step. Show your faith in Jesus. Show your belief in Jesus by just making a step. Five minutes of your time to show Jesus that you love him, that you're going to trust him, that you're declaring with your mouth and believing in your heart that he's risen from the dead to receive his salvation and the blessing of belief. Judging our defender, suffered and crucified. Forgiveness is in you. Sent into darkness, you rose in glorious light. Forever seated, I, I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three and one. I believe in the resurrection. Then we will rise again. For I believe in the day of Jesus. And I believe in the Jesus, we believe in you. We believe you died on the cross, were buried in the tomb, but on the third day that tomb was empty and you were alive and you are still alive today, pouring out eternal life and blessing on those who believe. We declare our belief in you in Jesus' name. Amen.